This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time once again for the BAM Online Podcast. This one's set for Tuesday, April the 5th, 2022. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, alongside site publisher Tim Watts. Tim Watts, fresh from spring break, as I understand it. Tim, was it an eventful spring break for Team Watts this time around, or was it more of a staycation? How did you guys go about that? No, we're sort of locked in because we had the uh – the, uh, we're going out of town at the end of the school year, so the kids are actually finishing school a little bit early. So we're going to Hawaii. Hawaii. Yes, that'll it, be a heck of a trip. Really, you know what? It's been like 15 straight years I've wanted to go to a spring training game, but it never really works out. Um, talking about the major leagues, usually the Alabama has stuff going on and the kids have stuff going on. But, yeah, we just stayed at home and hung out. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of those things I always talk about too. Hey, let's go catch a spring break. Let's go catch a spring training game. Just get down to Tampa. You know, yeah. maybe catch the Yankees and the Braves or something like that. It's really great. It, is. it would be great because you have all those teams rotating around like it's mm-hmm. on the AAU basketball tournament. I mean, you yeah, flying around different venues. They play different. It's not the same teams two days in a row. It'd be good. You'd see, you know, you could see multiple teams. I mean, if you didn't go just for one specific team. You could probably see, you know, eight teams in three days, which would be pretty good. That would be cool. You know, and you got more teams out in Arizona these days than you used to have. The Dodgers used to be in Vero Beach. and uh, But, yeah, over there on sort of the, the southwest coast. And you got to be careful, though, because you'll target some of these games that maybe are a little more accessible in terms of a time frame of travel, like Dunedin, home to the Blue Jays. And you're thinking, hey, the Braves are going to be up in Dunedin. Problem is, the star players for the Braves, the farther the trip is away from their base, the fewer stars you have a chance of seeing likelihood-wise in terms of making that trip farther away. So, yeah, we got the start of another Major League Baseball season upon us. We might get into some of that later in the podcast, but certainly a lot of Alabama football talk, some Alabama football recruiting, some Alabama men's basketball talk, some pop culture topics, and of course... The roundtable mailbag we'll get to a little bit later in the program as well. Big weekend in Tuscaloosa, Tim, as the Crimson Tide goes through its first scrimmage of spring drills. And while there were some items of interest to come from that scrimmage, from a recruiting perspective, not much bigger than the number one prospect for the 2023 cycle visiting your campus. That was the case Arch Manning, the five-star quarterback from New Orleans, Louisiana, in town to check out the Crimson Tide. And uh, I know we have a nugget right now at uh, BamaOnline.com on the roundtable, Tim, in relation to that 
visit. What's your understanding of how this latest trip to Tuscaloosa for the Manning family and, and how it went? Yeah, it was a scheduled short trip. They had uh, uh, plans. His, I know his ride was going to the North Carolina and Duke game that night, So, but wanted to get in and see the scrimmage. Um, you know, went well. I mean, there's nothing to think that Alabama's not dead in the middle of this. I don't think the the Mannings are wasting a lot of time visiting places they're not. Georgia's obviously in it. Texas in it. But I think Alabama's in it. What's surprising to me is I was asking around, and this could be wrong, of course, but a lot of people don't. The people weren't sort of close to that situation. And I should say there's not a lot of people super close because you got the Mannings. They've kept a clock tight circle. But people on the fringe seem to think he's not in much of a hurry. Um which isn't surprising, other you know, other you know, with the with the with the way recruiting goes. But usually for the quarterbacks, those dominoes start to soft, uh, fall earlier. So I found that rather interesting. That most most felt like not in a big rush. Um, still wanted to take some more visits and take some time. So maybe something this summer was the conventional wisdom. Of course, he probably you know committed while we were taping this, but uh, <laughs> anyway, I think it could go on a little bit longer than most expected. Me personally, I expected it to be over rather early because they were so diligent uh, getting up to this point. So that was kind of new for me to think maybe it could go on a little bit longer than we expected. All right. I think we've all heard various scenarios and how this might play out with Arch Manning. Uh, are you willing to, to hear one that I've had thrown at me and, and, and tell me whether or not you've heard this whether or not you think it's viable. What I have heard is that Texas might be in the best spot for Arch Manning, but there's always the but. That is contingent upon getting a look at how Steve Sarkeesian and Texas gets off to a start really into the 2022 season. And based on that, Things could change with Alabama, as you said, right there in that mix. Have you heard that scenario and how it might play out in terms of Arch Manning? And based on that sort of time frame, and as you said, really uncertainty in regards to exactly when he'll make his decision known, do you think Alabama is in a hurry to address the quarterback situation via a commitment, maybe an Eli Holstein or one of these other guys, Tim, uh, instead of waiting out Arch Manning? Yeah, I think with Arch, you know, mentally what he wants to do, you know, I think they've kept it rather quiet. There are people that think Austin uh, is the preferred Scott a spot because it's not a football factory. For some reason, they think Arch Manning's not that serious about football, which I find pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty hard to believe that he's not taking football serious, considering the hours he's probably put in to get here. So that's been the wisdom. I know Texas, a lot of the Texas people are saying that they're the spot. Um, those same exact Texas people said Nick Saban was coming to be their coach. <laughs> exactly the same. A lot of positive energy from the uh, some 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 Texas people. But um, I know Texas is in it. I don't know if he prefers there because it's more of a relaxed party school environment. I don't even know if Texas is more relaxed or more of a party school environment. I know the reputation it has. But I mean Georgia and Alabama. I mean they're obviously take football very serious. I find it hard to think that Texas doesn't take it serious, um, but also Georgia and Alabama, they, they, you know, they certainly have their, their partying atmosphere. So I guess there's pure respect. You know, the thing about when you get a kid like Arch who doesn't tip his hand and he doesn't really tell those around him a whole lot, it, it, it's completely speculating on what's, you know, what this kid could possibly want to do. 
Um, and that's hard to predict when you got a 17 or 18 year old kid in this situation. Um, me, I wouldn't bet on it either way right now. I do think Alabama, Georgia, Texas are all in it. I can see the reasons that he goes to all three. I don't really see the reasons he wouldn't choose any of the three, if that makes sense. I see the reasons he could choose all three of those programs. It would be interesting to see what happens if Arch chooses Texas, what would happen with Quinn Ewers, who just left Ohio State, went back to Texas. So, uh, you know, the former number one quarterback in the in the nation. So, But the visit itself, it went good. Alabama has some other good players on there. I mean, they have uh, – um, Caleb Downs, the Georgia safety kid I really like. They can continue to trend there. Georgia, Clemson are going to be involved in there. Charles Kelly has done a really good job there. Um, T. Rob, the new uh, secondary coach, he's done a really good job there with Caleb Downs, a guy I love, top 10 in the country. Um, That impact safety you're looking for from a freshman, a kid that can run, a kid that can hit, kind of got that little swagger. Alabama's did a good job there. And also Jaden Wayne, who's back again from Washington. Big kid, fun to watch. Uh, I believe he's in the top 40. I don't know if he's uh, – feel like he's a five-star. I don't know. The five-stars are kind of early. They'll change off and on all year. But definitely top 30, 40 prospect. Big kid who can run, really loves uh, Freddie Roach, really loves Hallman Wiggins, has a good relationship with them. Um, so Alabama has a, has had some very big names on campus, you know, on campus this week for the scrimmage and then the scrimmage itself. So a lot of, lot happening this weekend. Yeah. You know, you, you talk about Arch Manning too, and that supposed strong connection to Texas. Uh, there was a time where we thought that might involve David Cutcliffe as well. The former Ole Miss head coach, Tennessee offensive coordinator, Duke head coach who, of course, has strong ties to the Manning family. And then, of course, shortly after that, we learned David Cutcliffe has taken a job with the SEC office as a special assistant to Commissioner Greg Sankey. You mentioned some recruits and guys that we talked about in that capacity just a few mo- months ago and the scrimmage on Saturday. How about Aaron Anderson getting some love from Nick Saban? Unsolicited love. I mean, uh, you know, this is a dynamic playmaker type, and this is a position at wide receiver where Alabama definitely has a need, I guess. Yeah, he's the guy I loved the most last year. I'm not saying his upside is the biggest of that group. It could be. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it is, though, because you have, you know, you have some guys that can really fly in there. The kid from Buford, I mean, he's he's got some elite. <laughs> he's got some jets on him. Kobe's got a big upside. You know, Saban talked about – uh, Kendrick Law a little bit too, another you know these young guys. So, but Anderson, when I watched his film, he had great catch radius. He had tremendous hands, game film, um, tremendous hands. He's got excellent route running ability, and everybody I spoke to around him talked about the seriousness of him. Talked about the 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 effort he puts into his art, his craft, uh, running routes, receiving, and all that stuff. So he's the one the whole time I've been expecting to come in and have the the chance to make the biggest impact. I think we've discussed it a couple times already. He was most prepared, especially coming in early, going through spring and opening there. Um, I think he's he's got the chance the most. He was just the most polished of that group. Now, they still got some guys that that, that are had really good football players that can play. I mean, I'm really excited to see Kobe Prentice when he gets on campus. But I think we saw with JoJo Earl last year um, – I think we kind of saw that you, you know, that missing that spring sometimes can really affect you. And, um, and I think that's what's going to happen. You know, with JoJo, JoJo's another one I think is not getting enough credit. I know I'm sort of 
drifting off here to the side. But JoJo's a guy I think that's going to have um, a chance to sort of redeem himself that full full year under his uh, under his belt and going through that. A lot of pressure stuck on him last year because when we saw him last year, he wasn't really the same guy we saw in high school. When he caught the football, he was sort of hesitant. You remember when we saw his film in his games, the state championship game. I think everybody on the roundtable is watching that. He was really quick, really explosive, and really decisive. So really important to have that there for the spring for those true freshmen. I think Anderson has that that working for him. Yeah, it seems like spring is a time where some guys that aren't getting talked about enough are considered enough for the 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 positions, their respective positions moving forward, make that statement of, hey, don't forget about me. JoJo Earl seems to be one of those guys. And I guess Trey Sanders at running back, too. I mean, the arrival of Jameer Gibbs has been celebrated and understandably so. This is an immense talent. Uh, but Trey Sanders kind of letting people know, too, it seems like that, you know, a couple of years ago, I was the number one running back prospect in the country. The and 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 now like JoJo Earl coming off some injuries and and showing some good things, Tim. Yeah, the best Alabama teams are going to have heated, close competition competition at positions. They always have, and I think they always will. You get those guys pushing. I mean, it's just human nature to you know when you're walking and somebody walks by you to walk a little faster. You know, it's just even if you don't know them, if it's a stranger, I think that competition is what's going to be best for Alabama. But you're right, we're seeing a lot of it. Hey, also I think Nick Saban's praising some of these freshmen and telling some of those those older wide receivers, you better come on if you're coming because we've got guys coming into play. There's going to be no seniority. I'm putting the best player on the field. Um, Aaron has that potential to be a John Mechie. You know, we talked about this. The thing about Mechie was he's a really good football player, obviously. He really had a great career at Alabama. But the safety blanket he provided for Bryce or for his quarterback – I think Anderson could do that because I think he's going to be a guy to work back to the ball. You know, you see that quarterback scrambling out of the pocket. You know, that there's that, always that one, the, the best receivers know when to go deep. You know, know when to come back to the ball, know when to go to the sidelines and get open. But I think Anderson has that potential. Yeah, there's a comfortability that you definitely want to see a quarterback develop with really – more than one guy if possible but absolutely that was John Mechie a year ago and you know maybe Treshawn Holden becomes more of that guy too uh, obviously there's a familiarity there between uh, Bryce and, and Treshawn and uh, it sounds like Treshawn getting some work in that first group or two to go along with Aaron Anderson and Jermaine Burton with Ja'Cory Brooks out and you know look we have to talk about a Jai Hall because this is a guy that we haven't heard a lot about so far in spring drills. Tim, is there a point in this situation where it's fork in the road time? Are we already there? Where do you think things sit right now for Alabama with the immensely talented Ajay Hall? You know, I think that, you know, you just at this stage with all the rumors, first of all, I don't think, I think it's, you know, a fool's errand to try to decipher what a kid tweets, especially when it's random, you know, like, ooh, I see how it is now. You don't really know what the hell that means. We're not, we're not the Twitter whispers. Come on, grownups. We don't know what it means. But, I mean, Hall obviously has that reputation of, you know, the thing about it is the people that meet Hall, the people that know Hall, this was the same way in high school. They say he's a nice guy. They say he's a friendly guy. They say, he's a, you know, he's a good kid and all that. I just think that, you know, there's, you know, there's some part of him that fights himself at this stage. Um, obviously, Nick, you know, the thing about it is Hall – Nick Saban's not bending. We said this from day one. 
We said we did not think Nick Saban was going to bend, and he's still, you know, you know, they're not playing. There could be something medical. I don't know what the reason is behind him playing, but me, I've just resigned myself to if he's on the team. I guess Nick Saban and his football staff were okay with everything that's going on, and we really don't know what's going on, um, you know, in that locker room. You know, there's a lot of speculation, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as others say, or he wouldn't be on the team. So to me, it's just waiting and seeing, you know. If he wants to leave, obviously that's an option. Leaving has never been easier, so I don't know why he would continue to stay if he wanted out that bad. But also, if the coaches wanted him out that bad, there's a you know there's a there's a way to exit that situation too. So I think it's just one of those cases going to work itself out. It's a shame because I really would like to see what he could do. Yeah, and, and maybe he can't. Maybe he's not as good as we think. I mean, maybe he's not, but maybe he is as good as we think. I would just like to know. Yeah. I would like to see it. I'd like to see him give himself a chance to see how good he is. Cause he probably doesn't even know yet. I know he thinks he does, but getting out there and proving it, you know, you know, proving it, you know, against Elias Ricks in practice, you know, that's a good way to, that's a good way to show everybody you've got some skills set, Bo. Very situation. I'm not sure we've really had one like this under Nick Saban. I can't really remember. Am I missing someone where there was just constant rumors of leaving Maybe go back to DJ Hall, speaking of Halls, back in 2007. But I'll tell you this, DJ had his issues too. But, man, on Saturdays, DJ didn't have many issues, other than the Iron Bowl his last year. That wasn't a pretty performance. That guy didn't even get drafted. No. He didn't get a seventh round. I'm going to take a flyer. So you know the red flags were just flying with DJ. Absolutely. I feel like he got trouble right after not too long after his career didn't he pretty much i mean it was an ongoing thing with dj even in the shula era uh but i'll tell you this dj hall loved playing against the university of tennessee and he would light up the balls every chance he got we'll stick with offense here tim and kind of in relation to the passing game uh we still hear nick saban mention that you know there are concerns about pass protection and you know, that was a theme, obviously, for the 2021 team. And you love that Bryce Young is able to extend plays and kind of cover for some issues in that area. But certainly you would like to shore up the pass protection. And with that, we move on to Tyler Steen. And that's that's a situation I know right now at BamaOnline.com. It's minute to minute with us, right, in terms of what the Vanderbilt transfer, the offensive tackle uh, might do here in the next minutes hours days at this point yeah i mean you know you would think that i mean if it was really looking for the best position if it comes down to having a chance to compete for national championship obviously the guy's gonna he's choosing a school where he can start <clears throat> so that won't factor in i know the people uh you know alabama feels pretty confident that they did a good job of laying all that out for him so now it's just up to him to choose um you know it's hard to it's hard you know to me it seems like a no-brainer alabama's had really had a lot of success with those grad transfers, right? You've seen those guys come in, play really well. They've started. So there's not really a case where Alabama hasn't had that guy, you know, you know, pan out in recent years, I don't think. Most of them have, have lived up to the billing. But, um, you know, then again, there's a lot of talk about who's going to commit yesterday. But nobody ever confirmed that. I never heard any yeah. confirmation that he was committing yesterday, just that the speculation was. So I guess, you know, it's a wait-and-see thing. But I feel like Alabama's did a really good job put their their self in position here yeah and you said it uh you consider the the overall football situation 
at Alabama, and you would think it would be a tough thing to turn away from for Tyler Steen, a guy who has ties even at the high school level to Fort Lauderdale's St. Thomas Aquinas High School, a place that has turned out numerous Alabama standouts in the Nick Saban era, including Jordan Battle. Um, you know, Dallas Turner has ties down there. So uh, we'll see how it goes for Tyler Steen. But again, we are on ready. We are on alert I mean, for Tyler kid, Steen. The thing in these situations, sometimes the family knows and the kid knows, and they're just not in a rush right. to let it out or they're handling something else. Once, you know, once they've made up their mind, it could take a few days. It could be figuring it out. They could be need. They could be trying to get an edit, a graphic, a video done. Um, you know, there's no telling what's going on with him. You know, making the final decision as part of the timeline. Yeah, and I know there's some folks out there. They they there's this stigma of well, he's he played at Vandy. You know, can he really help Alabama? Yeah, hell yeah, he can help Alabama. Yeah. I mean, guy played. He started over 30 games in the SEC, and if you just go check him out in some of his clips and even some of the full games that are available on outlets like YouTube, I think you'll see pretty quickly. This is a plug and play guy at the offensive tackle position. Look, the talent comes. I mean, I said this, I'll get on the side tangent if you don't watch it, but I mean, the number three pick the NFL draft last year was from North Dakota state. The number two is from BYU. All every program I'm looking at it now. Northwestern had number 13. Tulsa had number 16. Um, you know, those, you know, the talent is talent. Some kids go to schools for different reasons other than football. Some have slow starts out of the gate at high school. Some, some grow later. So I certainly, I mean, starting the SEC for anybody for 30 games is a big deal. I don't care where you're at. Um, if you were, if you were not doing a decent job, you wouldn't be on the field. You know, somebody else would probably have stepped up. So I don't think the Vanderbilt angle plays a factor at all. And I, and again, the fact that Alabama wants them sort of speaks volumes, to where they think that the you know his skill set is. Yeah, especially offensive linemen. It is the number one developmental position. So it is entirely plausible that guys go to different places and in two or three years, what do you know? Uh the guy that maybe goes to Vanderbilt is on a Absolutely. bigger upswing than maybe even a guy who who goes to Alabama and sometimes that, you know, a lot of people like to point fingers at coaches and, and coaching staffs in the area of player development. I get it. Uh, but it can be such a crapshoot with, with big people, uh, with an emphasis there on the offensive line. So we continue to consider the Tyler Sting situation. Um, Tim, anything else that came out of Saturday scrimmage, maybe that you want to note or caught your attention before we, get into some maybe college basketball talk here. Not really. You know, it's, it's quiet. You know, we can't see any of, you know, really any of the scrimmage. Um, I heard uh, Nick Saban mentioned Jalen Milrow. I was glad to hear that. Um, mm-hmm. Really curious to see about, you know, that's the main thing I'm looking for a day to see Jalen and Tyler <clears throat> get out there and see what they can do. I'm pretty excited to see the young quarterbacks. Not that, you know, not that I don't enjoy Bryce. I'm going to, I'm going to savor every minute of Bryce. I mean, as I got old, I get older, I've been able to like focus, find those guys that I just enjoy so much watching like Jameson this year, and you know, Max Smitty, that whole team the year before and really watch. So obviously excited about Bryce, but I really want to see what Jalen and, and you know, how Tyler Simpson look. I just want mm-hmm. to see the backup quarterback, possibly the quarterback, you know, pos- quite possibly the starting quarterback in the future, how they look, how is Jalen progressing? Cause I mean, the dude is a, unbelievable athletes got a big arm you know all that all that stuff was a little bit raw so you know having to learn 
some of that past stuff that that guys do early on, but um, no, nah, not really. You know, I think it was sort of a, a sort of feel it out type situation for Nick Saban, and uh, you know, I think as spring continues, we'll get a little bit more and a little bit more of tips of hands on some of those guys who are standing out. Yeah, you get the sense Nick likes the leadership aspect uh, of this team already with Will Anderson, with Bryce Young back. Some guys that have been asked to take on not only big roles positionally, but intangibly. Even last year with Bryce Young and Will Anderson as permanent team captains as just sophomores, Alabama seems to be in a pretty good place as far as the players themselves policing themselves and also holding each other accountable at a national championship level. So, Tim, uh, let's get into some hoops. Your thoughts on Monday night's national championship game between the Kansas Jayhawks and the North Carolina Tar Heels. Man, what a swing from one half to the next as the Jayhawks win their fourth national championship in program history. Yeah, it was wild. I mean, I, I knew Bill Self back when I was covering AAU basketball. I was around him enough. He's a he's a smooth operator. He's an easy guy to like. Um, people like, I'll never forget, we're in Vegas going into a club that Bill Self couldn't get into. He was, we had some friends get us into a club. Bill Self was on the line by the <laughs> – standing on the wall. Nobody knew who he was, which was which was kind of funny. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this good. it was a good, it was a good championship game. Obviously, tell it to uh, – Two halves. I didn't really get into the NCAA tournament this year. I don't know about, you know, everybody, you know, you and other, you know, everybody else. I don't know if it was the Bama didn't have much of a run. I mean, a lot of the SEC teams that I followed were out really early. The ones that I was most familiar with, uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the guys that I wanted to see. I mean, thankfully we had those Cinderella's getting us into the Elite Eight Sweet 16, but really I found it kind of boring. I mean, the Coach K, I mean, everybody tried to make a big deal about Coach K's guys walking off the field, walking off the court. But I saw Coach K stood out there and shook every last hand. Um, I just didn't love this tournament. But it was a, it was a competitive tournament. I think it was more about me than, than the actual tournament. Yeah, it became pretty much the, the, the Mike Krzyzewski farewell tour uh, once you got to about the, the 16 and the 8. Understandable. I mean, we're talking about – an absolute icon in the business and uh, uh, the semifinal game between Duke and Carolina uh, absolutely delivered. And then I think the national championship game did as well. Just when you were about ready to call it a night there at the half with Carolina leading uh, in the mid teens, boy, Kansas came out. I thought defensively really set the tone early in the second half as much as anything else. And then the guards, for Kansas sort of returned to their form from the semifinal win over Villanova. And, you know, look, Carolina was an eight seed, right? Which again, sort of leads you to wonder why not Alabama at some point? Uh, yeah, it's North Carolina on the jerseys. It's the brand. We know that, uh, but it was still a Carolina team going into the tournament that was viewed in a lot of ways as being similar to even Alabama. And there Carolina is, on the cusp of a national championship coming up a little bit short. So, you know, I think that perspective, if you're an Alabama fan, keeps you hanging in there. And, you know, also when you think about the roster reshaping for Alabama, recent news, Tim, of Jaden Shackelford going through with it with pro basketball moving forward. 
Uh, J.D. Davison, we heard from Nate Oates down in New Orleans on the Field of 68 podcast, anticipating you know J.D. to to look at the draft process heavily, perhaps stay in at some point if he is a first-round guy. Uh, any of this stuff here in the last three or four days catch you one way or the other? No, not really. I mean, I think Shackelford, you know, the thing about him is I'm not sure what more he could have done in college. I enjoy watching him. When that guy got when there was when that guy got hot, he it was fantastic to see a guy you know shoot like he did. There's definitely a position in professional basketball for Shackelford now. Whether it's going the Trajan Langdon route in Europe, which we've discussed several times, which is a hell of a life if you're 20 to 25 years old. I mean, can you imagine making six figures to travel Europe to play basketball, to be treated like a hero. Nothing wrong with that because he can shoot. He's going to find a place or work yourself into the NBA. We've seen guys, shooters, you know, they say that about baseball. If you can hit, you can play. It don't matter if you're 300 pounds or 105 pounds. If you can shoot, you're going to, there's going to be a team for you. And that guy definitely can shoot. He will. And he will absolutely shoot. You know, no problem pulling the trigger and uh, that streaky nature uh, is going to be interesting to watch in professional basketball to see if he can kind of eliminate some of those gaps between the uh, the flammability that he presents on the offensive end for sure. And, you know, it's a roster, again, that, that is ever-changing, I guess, at this point. We've talked about J.D. Davison in the past, so I guess Nate's comments here recently on that angle, not much of a surprise. And uh, you know, J.D. has some work to do, though. I think – where he was considered to be even a year ago for the 2022 draft in comparison to where he is now, uh, a little bit different. But uh, with a favorable run through the draft process, he still looks like a guy that very much could land in uh, round one, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the NBA, down when you get past a certain point, I mean, if you go through the history of the drafts, which I've done several times, you can pick any random year, you're not getting – most of the 17 pick in the draft, you're not getting a future NBA Hall of Famer. There's only so many impact players in every draft, believe it or not. Some obviously more than others, but so they will definitely take bullets and they will take shots there at the end. I mean, and they will find guys that have upside, which JD does. He's a tremendous athlete. He is a guy that can shoot. And again, you know, you see this a lot. You know, Herb Jones got a lot. Herb Jones was a hell of a basketball player at Alabama to begin with. But when he got to uh, the NBA and just focused on his craft, on his on his job, which is what they do. You go from playing basketball around the schedule of trying to date some girl, trying to go out and hang out with your boys, to uh, um, uh, playing basketball, going to class. You go through all that to shooting ball all day. You know, a set schedule where you're there and you're shooting with you know the Steph Currys of the world. You're shooting with some you know the guys that don't really allow you. You talk about accountability, you know, you can't go in there and, you know, most of those places and, and be a goofball and, and, and not do work. They'll certainly call you out. So um, I think J.D. has a chance, even between now and the draft, to work. I think the one it only takes one team. And J.D., we've seen him get hot. If J.D.'s playing like he did against Gonzaga, if he's practicing if we're doing his workout and it's similar to that, you know, I can see a team going on him. We said this about Primo. A lot of, lot of Alabama fans says he wasn't ready. I'm not saying he was ready from what they standpoint, because if we were growing up, if you're the older guys like we are, and if that's what I, the board posters, you're used to Tim Duncan playing four years. You're used to 
you know, all these guys, Michael Jordan playing three years. We're used to so many guys playing. So, yeah, when they got to the NBA, they were ready. But it sort of changed. I mean, it's changed a lot, actually. You've got guys that are their base, and you kind of got to look at them when they draft them. What would they have been like as a junior? What kind of value you're getting? Josh Primo's a hell of a basketball player. I watch him all the time with the Spurs. Saw him on Sunday. He's a bouncy guy. We discussed that this time last year. I felt that he could go through the workout process and the team could fall in love with him. And certainly they did certainly more than one fell in love with him. And the Spurs, you know, you know, gobbled him up pretty quick there. I think it was 12th or whatever it was, but there were other teams. He wasn't in no risk of falling out of that first round. It wasn't just one team that liked him. And there were teams that drafted ahead of him that liked him that ended up taking other players. So you know how that draft changes. So yeah, JD's a guy, he's got talent. Um, He's a good kid. You know, he works hard. There's never been, there's not a lot of drama around here. So they're going to, there's going to be a team that, I mean, if you're, if you're an NBA team who's always in the playoffs, if you're the, if you're the Golden State Warriors and you're drafting 29, JD's a good look because you don't have to rush him onto the court. You still got a few years left with Steph, a few years left with Clay. You got some other guys. You can bring him along slowly and hopefully find you a hidden gem. So I think he could play himself into the first round quite easily. With that said, you know, if his workouts are bad, he could, you know, end up in the early second. But either way, he's about to get, you know, he's about to make money playing basketball. So, Well, you said it, too. And I think you hear this a couple of years in to a guy going to the next level from their college fan bases. And where was this guy, you know, at Alabama a couple of years ago? Well, the, the, the whole deal changed. He's a pro now. He does this every day. This is his job. As you said earlier, he's not mixing in as much school and social and trying to balance all these different things. This is what he does each and every day. And the NBA is drafting on projectability. And so if you show immense athletic skills and some some obvious uh, basketball acumen, uh, they're going to draft you based on that. And then the improvement occurs almost like clockwork and – with J.D. Davison, I think you said it, the comparison to Josh Primo, not only in terms of basketball talent, but this just seems like the kind of guy you want in your organization, a maturity that's there for his age that you don't have to probably worry as much about this guy on a day-to-day basis, right? He's going to be where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be there. He's going to put in the work, and he's already reached that level of, you know, self-accountability. And so I think all those things help J.D. Davison in the process. I'd be very surprised. There's a maturity that goes, even though, even though you're a freshman, and I've watched it twice with my older kids, there's a maturity that goes with having went to a party, met a girl, went through that. It's not, you know, that's a little bit, that's a big deal when you go from high school to college women. I think a lot of people forget that's a huge deal when you make that adjustment. That is literally going from the minor leagues to the majors. So I think that first year, you know, the you know the you know the the, the opposite sex attraction uh, could take a lot more time than you're used to. You're not really going to run into that as much in the NBA. You're going to find grown women. You're gonna you know you're going to be a little bit different world. You're going to be a little bit more isolated. You're not really going to be big man on campus. So there's going to be a lot more time put into basketball. And JD had a tough leap. He came from a very small school. Um, could have went to any prep school in America. He had a tough leap. Chose to stay and play with his. His friends. So he's got we knew his learning curve was a little bit steeper, I guess what we can say. But, you know, you look at a guy like next year, 
I mean, every every time I look at this class, every time I see this class, Rylan Griffin, who I love from day one, um, I know this is definitely a debatable subject. I feel like he could end up being the best player in that group. And I don't say that lightly. I think that, you know, Jaden Bradley is going to be a tremendous floor maker. Reminds me a little bit of Chris Paul. Brandon Miller is a freak. He's got that Gerald Wallace type, type freaky athleticism. You know, and then Pringle, Nick Pringle, who's not nearly appreciated enough. Good guy. Film this year was good. Put up tremendous, you know, rebounds, block shots, athletic. He's bouncy. And then Noah Clowney, who was a big signing we kind of forgot about because it happened so late. But he's going to be a big man that can develop. So if they get these guys in, all expecting to play, you know, Noah's might be a little bit further behind um, as a developing big. Get a couple of these, you know, these transfers. Um, I mean, this this could be a team fun team to watch. I you know what I enjoyed this Alabama team as frustrating as they were because they never really left in doubt that they were going to the NCAA tournament. And me, I'm still the biggest Nate Oaks fans because we were debating, we were discussing this team all year, second year in a row, NCAA tournament. And I do not think it was a super talented team. And I you know I just don't think this team was as as aggressive. Didn't really have the leadership, verbal leadership that you needed. But uh, I appreciate the fact that they could have such a good team last year and come back and go to the NCAA. Could have been a complete rebuilding year this year. But, again, some big wins, some of the biggest wins in Alabama school history, uh, another NCAA tournament. But I'm excited, really excited to see what this this next group brings. I think Nate will do a better job in the portal. I think they'll have some guys to look at and bring in. And um, I'm excited about Alabama basketball. Yeah, we'll get into some of that coming up here in the roundtable mailbag. It it was interesting at the Final Four because I think we all agree the top three teams there, especially after the tough injury that that Villanova encountered in the eight, um, Kansas, North Carolina, Duke, and all three with defined post players, involved post players, Tim, when you talk about McCormick, for Kansas and Baycoat for North Carolina, uh, even Williams for Duke, uh, and style of play. And still that, I wouldn't call it so much an argument, but it's fun to, to debate style of play and knowing that Nate's not a guy that's going to employ, he has a seven footer. Don't get me wrong. And Charles Bediaco. So he understands, uh, the need for size, uh, on the block, but in terms of how, the offense functions, how a team functions, functions offensively. Uh, you know, that, that was something that was talked about a lot the last few days down in new Orleans, but you say that, and then you look at the guard play, right. For the teams that ultimately got to that point and how important it still was. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that, yeah, I think, you know, you saw a lot of what we saw of the Cinderella teams, the teams that made runs, they were kind of similar to Alabama last year. They had that experience. You can't you can't explain, you know, I don't think anybody, including myself, appreciated Petty and Herb enough last year and being the <clears throat> senior leaders and having those guys come back, help the young guys out. So you need those older guys in your program. I mean, I think, you know, I think Coach Cal at Kentucky's kind of shown you it's almost impossible to win a championship. I mean, he should have won many more had some of those guys stayed and not left. But when you sign six and then have six go pro almost every year, you sign five and, you know, four go pro. I mean, you, you, and, and let's be honest, 
Had Anthony Davis not coming back for his sophomore year, I wonder if Kentucky would have won it that year. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm leaning towards no. So against all odds, you know, the big man, he came back. So, yeah, I think you got to find that nice blend, and I think that's what the portal can do because you've got guys with experience. And then next year they'll have guys with experience on this team. You know, Betty Yako is going to get better. He's going to be a better basketball player, and he certainly showed flashes this year of uh, uh, plenty to like. I still haven't, you know, I still haven't given up on – some of the other big men, I still think so those guys can contribute. I know that, you know, oh, yeah, getting Burnett back. You know, Namari. Yeah, Namari. And him on his Instagram. That guy's coming in. And, again, you talk about leadership. I think we'll have a little bit more of that um, when you see that have a little bit older guys. You know, I think Noah Gurley's expected back. And I, I think mm-hmm. he's either could could help out a little bit more. I don't think we saw the best Noah Gurley. The thing I do, I guess, from my old days of evaluating basketball prospects, I tend to focus on what they can do, even if they don't do it consistently. I've, I mean, I saw Gurley have really good moments, have really good, you know, really good moments, really good runs. I think you just got to reach into that, define it, you know, almost go to that pro mentality, uh, drag it out of them uh, to get the best out of a player. But if they got some kind of potential, especially as a big, give you five fouls and athletic, you know, I think this team will be a little bit more mature, a little bit more vocal. I don't think these young guys coming in for Alabama are going to be particularly shy. I don't think uh, Namari Burnett's going to be particularly shy. So I think they're coming in here. I think you'll see a lot more leadership. Very similar to what sort of that, you know, you know what? You mentioned that earlier with football. You talked about leadership. When you got guys like Henry Toa Toa, he's a guy. That's one of the reasons him coming back was so important because he's holding everybody to that standard. It's just not Will Anderson. You know, at first it was Will Anderson as a true freshman screaming, let's go, let's get it. Um, now we got Will on a money year. We got Henry on a money year, you know, NFL year for both of them probably telling these guys, let's go. It's going to mean a lot. It's going to mean a lot. Mm-hmm. I see that on the basketball court. With Jordan the- battle on the back end. And, you know, I, it's absolutely yeah. money years, leadership. Uh, last year was kind of a little bit of a quiet team. And again, we said, Swinging back to football, of course it was a little quiet because the team before had friggin' leaders at every position across the board. It was insane. I mean, yeah, that was the exception. Smitty, that 2020 team. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you had Smitty, you had Najee, you had that team with so many leaders. Even the youngster, you know, with Waddle, uh, Pat, you know, Pat back there, you know, leading the secondary, just you know, quietly leading them. So much leadership. The next team never really, next year really never had anybody develop. Um, you know, obviously Will was born, you know, Bill, Will was probably bossing the nurse around when he was born. He's always been that, that leader, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the basketball team next year. I think it's going to be fun. Um, I think this year's team gave us some highlights, obviously the disappointment, you know, the, in the, in the last four or five games, but you know, I think this program is definitely heading in the right direction. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And speaking of direction, we got some good stuff coming up on the sports calendar, not only with Alabama football and you got Alabama baseball, Alabama softball ongoing right now, but the masters. And I know you're not a big golf guy, Tim, but looks like tiger's going to give it a go. Hasn't played really competitive golf in more than a year. He was in that serious car wreck out in Southern California, uh, a little more than a year ago in which he was left in a situation where you wondered if he would, be able to just enjoy a quality of life after that. But now he is in Augusta. He is preparing. It looks like he will give it a go on Thursday. How much does Tiger's presence 
at the Masters, really any tournament, how much does that impact you as really a, a, a non-watcher of golf? Will, will you watch now if Tiger plays this weekend? Is it appointment television for you if Tiger plays, Tim? I'm more inclined to watch. I mean, part of it is I don't really run in the golf circle. I mean, I love sports. There's only so much time in the day for sports. For me, I had to, you know, there's some I just don't have time to follow. But uh, usually, you know, like when I have my basketball friends and they're like, hey, are you watching the Spurs game? Then I'll turn it on. Uh, usually how it goes. So I don't get many, hey, holy holy crap, are you watching, <laughs> you watching Seve out here? You know, I don't really get a lot of the Now, Tiger – supersedes that because i have dumbasses that never watch golf at all who are like right. Holy crap, tigers tigers minus one on hole number two on the first round and then i'm dumb enough to flip it so yeah definitely more likely to watch tiger i think i appreciate him more as he closes in on 50 um you know kind of appreciate more what he's done i was that way with some tennis players like i love john McEnroe at the end of his career more than the rest of his career for whatever reason just a pre andre agassi was another one so i just appreciated him a little bit more because they continue to fight. But yeah, I'd be more inclined. I mean, the guys, the, the guys, you know, one of the biggest sports figures in the history of the world, you know, superseded everything. I mean, the guys, mm. I mean, when his bio is told when somebody, I'm sure they've tried to tell when they sit down and tell the it's 30 for 30. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's it a might life. take three hours for yeah, that. 30 for 30. Two parter. Yeah, he's going to need a lot of parts. I mean, there's been many phases of this guy, it looks like. So mm-hmm. um, I think this is the the phase. I did see some videos of him and his son uh, yep. doing some father-son thing. That's pretty interesting. Look at that a lot of Charlie is, yeah. is, is going to be something. Yeah, yeah, Charlie Woods. They played. He had a little swagger. They, played in, they, they play in that father-son event. And uh, that's when you got the first inclination a few months back that, Tiger might be sandbagging a little bit in terms of his viability still as a as a professional moving forward. Now, I, I don't see Tiger as being a full, you know, tour guy, uh, given the health issues. He already had issues involving his back and knees and other things prior to the car accident. So these things have certainly accumulated. But this is a guy that can play Augusta National on a walker and shoot par. I'm pretty convinced at this point loves that course much as anything. It's a tough course to walk. So that's the big challenge. I think as much as anything for him this week, but absolutely. When you talk about needle movers in sports in general, they don't get, uh, they don't get bigger and tiger. If you're injured, can you not get, I thought there was a way. To no carts, no carts. Is that what you were going to ask? Yeah, Maybe a golf cart. No. Yeah. Like if you've been yeah. injured or had an issue, really, Nope. You got to be able to walk it. So, uh, Tiger's going to, now you have a caddy that obviously helps, you know, you're not carrying your own bag. So, um, that's a, that's a good thing, uh, for, for Tiger, but it, it's still if, been to Augusta national a couple times. And, uh, you know, you think, well, that course is in Augusta, Georgia. It ought to be pretty flat. No, no, a lot of Hills. You're, you're going up and down a good bit there at that track. Hey, it wasn't a sport, but we haven't talked since, uh, Chris rock took the, the big right hand, open hand from Will Smith. I wanted to get maybe your winners and losers from the Oscar fiasco from a couple of Sundays ago. Uh, what about who was the biggest winner in that? You think to come out of that, Tim, talking about the winning the Oscar or Or just the whole situation involving Chris rock and Will Smith. I Uh, thought Chris rock was the, yeah, 
Yeah. No, I had, you know, the funny thing is, like, I had people up till Wednesday or Thursday going, it was a setup. And I was like, no, no, no. So you look at it this way. And like, hey, Tim, I want you to walk up on stage and slap. <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah. Hell, hell yeah. But they say, hey, Tim, I want you to stand up there and Travis saunter up and slap you in the face. I'm going to be like, no. <laughs> Everybody with the setup, what the hell does Chris Rock want to take that hit? And I will say his sales have been out the door. Um, with oh, his, uh, yeah, huge. His tour at Time Dot Perfect. I thought it was ridiculous. I think it's obvious Will Smith has some emotional yeah, issues. I mean, it was yeah. a joke. I mean, again, if he'd have made some tasteless joke, like look forward to seeing you in Philadelphia part two, you know, the movie with Tom Hanks, something tasteless like Kojak that's right. offensive. But I mean, gee, I mean, Demi Moore's widely considered smoking hot in GI Jane. I don't know anybody that doesn't think it. Also, yeah. he obviously didn't know. I mean, I looked not to make light of it, but it's balding. And I looked it up. 50% of all women are affected by balding. Men are affected 75%. Damn, Lord Tim did his homework on this. Well, I'm, I'm impressed, Tim. Well, they Damn. said that he had the same thing. that You remember Charlie Bill in the way, but she had the same thing. Yeah. Charlie, Josh Dobbs. Well, when we saw those kids at 19, they had no they had no eyebrows. They had no hair on the top of their head. That that right. That very hairless. So I was curious because I've been following watching John and Pinkett movies for 30 years and never noticed any of that. So obviously whatever it is, is at a different level. Um, but yeah, I just think Will Smith got emotionally involved. I mean, he laughed, he died laughing and then she gave him a look and he just walked like, up. I don't yep, know. That, he that was it. Him. You know what, what irritates me is that Hollywood who, my Lord, they can get out. They'll get outraged at anything. I mean, if I wear mm-hmm. blue shoelaces and my red sneakers, they are friggin' having a fit if they don't like it. But they sat there and watched him slap another man, and they didn't say a friggin' – they gave him a standing ovation for doing it. Yep. They didn't ask him to leave. They didn't escort him out. I mean, Chris Rock, you don't have to be a brave heart to slap 60-year-old, 118-pound <laughs> Chris Rock. Oh. God. Yep. You know, he just moves Chris Rock. I love. I've always loved the, he the crackhead from "I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker." Scott, and he's also. Can I get one rib? Don't, for, don't forget him in New Jack City. <laughs> Scotty, help me! They're gonna kill me. No. Oh. hidden camera. So I don't know. I just thought it. You know, obviously Will Smith probably needs some help. Um, yeah, and and Will and Jada have been through some highly publicized stuff. Yeah, she publicized it. That's what I'm saying. So you know, Will's already like, yes, you know who's on edge. Will, Will Smith's wife out of their name is Will Smith's damn wife. She yeah. should shut up telling her business to everybody. Yeah, you know, Ricky Jar Jarvis. What's his name? Oh, Ricky Gervais. Yeah, Gervais. The Golden Globes dialogue that monologue is. he did a couple that years is. ago. That's still the goat because he, he took on. Dude, he took on De Niro, Scorsese. Oh, yeah. He hammered, and then he hammered the whole lot of them. He is, yeah. He is cold. Uh, he is cold. He blood. said, "I wouldn't have made a joke about her hair. I would have made a joke about her boyfriend." <laughs> That's what been- Ricky Gervais said. Dude, I looked up. I oh, know. what would he have done to Ricky? Look, you I know, don't Stone know Cold Steve Stunner. I don't know what the red table is. I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know anything about it. But when I started Googling it and found out she like took the guy to the BET Awards. Yeah. The, the guy. Yeah. I was stunned. I had no idea. Um, 
I don't know. It's just to me, it was Chris Rock definitely a big winner though. You said it like he goes on tour now and on secondary ticket market, uh, it's like thousands of dollars to get a ticket. Not, I'm yeah. talking plural thousands. He really doesn't look like he's discussed it too much. I think he'll. My guess would be he's not discussing it now. Right. A little bit. Of oh a, no. Increase. He's gonna monetize that shit. You know man. what was funny to me though was the reaction. Yeah. It was like there was a certain part of the world that didn't know what to think. Yeah. They didn't know what they're supposed to be upset at will. They clap. They were quiet. About Tuesday, the wards are like, "Oh no, we don't <laughs> believe he wouldn't leave." Yeah. No, they start making stuff up. No, y'all didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Y'all didn't do anything. Will Smith. My man went up there and said he's a vessel of love. That's what I he mean, said. And then he gave the. <laughs> you know what was worse than the slap? Was the freaking speech. Right. What the hell Absolutely. About. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was tough. So. No, in all seriousness, I mean, we laugh about it, but I agree with you. I, I, Will Smith, hopefully. Uh, has a has an outlet or, or a, an approach that that's going to help him out because that cat's got some pent up deals yeah, going on right now. It. You know the thing about it is he's he seems like a guy that's always laughing, always happy. Right. And Fresh I think Prince. That, and unfortunately for him, he had parents it. don't understand. Well, the problem that. is, do you remember Roberto Alomar, the Blue Jays? Oh Jay? yeah, Robbie. Dude, nobody ever mentions Robbie in the discussion for the greatest. Second base, but nobody ever mentions him. No, spit on a dude. The whole spitting incident. He's literally probably yeah. the best I've ever seen. Ryan Sandberg was certainly good, and there's others we could debate. But he was. But that one incident. Glenn Hubbard. Yeah. And, yes. <laughs> but Robbie was great and great and uh, did all this stuff for the community and all that up until that point. And that one point, I think Will just had his Robbie. Yeah. Our moment where he just completely came out of himself, and li- unfortunately, you know, it was on, you know, it was on live live television. Not not that I watch it anymore, boy. But Saturday Night Live is they're loaded up for at least a year now. Yeah, off of that. They, yeah, yeah, they they were a big winner. They had to skin everybody was loving. I didn't. I thought it was all right. It was it yeah. was funny. Um, but again, and just and just in terms of award pecking order, I know the Academy and the board and all that came out and just totally undressed, just hammered Will Smith, stripped him. I guess he resigned from the Academy and all these, you know, grandiose I didn't tell when you things that nobody gives a damn about outside of it. Um, but the Oscars, I mean, I don't, I'm not a big award show guy, Tim. I don't know about you, but damn, now I got to watch it. Certainly over the Grammys, you know. Grammys, though, the Grammys, though, the entertainment you get from it, you know, the music you get from it's better than what you get from the Oscars. They had a, they had a pretty good night, uh, the Grammys, yeah. at Will's expense. They had some pretty good jokes. <laughs> took a complete motor, night, uh, uh, 1978 Chachi off, uh, um, what, just, what was that show? Joni Loves Happy Days? Oh, Joni Loves Chachi. It yeah, spun off, Loves yeah. Chachi. Came out with that old school motorcycle helmet with no face mask. <laughs> it came out, yeah. So they had, they had a little bit of fun, but I don't know. It was, I don't know. I don't know who's to blame. I just think that you know, obviously that you know, Will got up. You obviously got upset. Maybe that you know, you never know. You've if you've been arguing with your wife on the driving to you know, yeah, beach, you can yell at the person that at the fast. Well, and maybe some guys that she's dated were there, and he already had to see that. You know. It was Deal just with that weird. Mess. Just, I, she, he died laughing. 
it was a cool moment. I mean, it was a funny she moment. She gave that right raised eyebrow hey, though, hey, and it was look, on. And now, you know, people are now. Even, I got to go up here and smack this man. But the pressure won't. And it was the way he sauntered back. And then I, I, I think when it sat in, what he did was when he kept saying, "Keep my wife's name out of his mouth." I think. Yeah. That, I think that's when he said, "Oh, yeah, I can't." Do Anybody that. that still believe that was a work, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Once he got back to the seat and on multiple occasions just to sell tickets at his age when he's probably pretty set for money. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Chris, he doesn't need it at this point. I ain't going to judge him for it. That was a pretty good thing, but yeah. And maybe Jada Pinkett didn't even want him to do that. I don't know. I think a lot. She's probably, everybody's blaming her. She loved it, Tim. I don't think loved it. Think any woman would say, well, I just don't understand. Her, I think they. Oh, she loved it. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. She's got that man crazy. Oh, there's some women out there they love it. Now, I'm not saying all. I'm not, you know, making a stereotype typical statement or anything. But I think a lot of women would want their man to defend them. But I didn't feel like Chris Rock intended to offend her. I didn't even find it very offensive at all. I, Jonathan. No. Jonathan looks great with short hair. It's never crossed my mind that yeah. something was wrong. I think she you know her whole career, she's wore short hair and she's wore it as well as anybody. Right. You know, more is another one. She's wore it obviously short. So I didn't even know it was a big, you know, I didn't know she had anything that, you know, I didn't know she was, you know, turned out. I can't say the word, but I didn't know that she was like balding, prematurely balding or whatever. Well, it's never too premature to go to the BAM online. <laughs> Roundtable mailbag. How about that for a segue? And we're going to do that right now. Man, Tim, there's a lot of chatter. We kind of touched on this earlier about the transfer portal in relation to Alabama basketball, men's basketball. And we've got names out there from Mark Sears, the guard from Ohio, Jalen Llewellyn, the Princeton guard who has visited Alabama, Brandon Murray with previous ties to Alabama, transferring out of LSU, Antonio Reeves, Bama Hoop Season, SZN, chiming in with some names. Um, you know, at this point, the numbers, I think the thing we forget about, too, and you talked about it earlier, you still got some real dudes coming in, and a lot of these guys are guards that we're talking about in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Um you got two five-stars perimeter types coming in. And that's before, as you said, Ryland Griffin's a four. But if you watch him, you could easily see him being a five as well. So where do you sit kind of on this transfer portal talk? Understanding it's going to have an impact, probably a sizable impact on the 2022 Alabama men's basketball team. And that's the case across the sport these days. And then also trying to maybe integrate what is a stellar recruiting class, especially where the perimeter players are concerned? Well, you know, I think what comes down to is uh, Alabama is going to take their time with these guys. I don't think there's a big rush. I know there's a lot of names mentioned. Everybody wants answers. I'm filling them out. I think Alabama's trying to piece together the best way to, you know, to fill that roster. Um, you know, the best way to fill the roster, the best way to, uh, uh, make sure, like you said, everybody blends together. I mean, you don't want anybody, you know, getting skittish or feeling like, you know, disrespected or anything. So also those guys, you're right. Those guys, if you're a transfer looking to start right away, 
Um, some of these guys might intimidate you. Some of those guys you might say, hey, Jaden Bradley's going to be a player. You know, Ryland's going to be a player. Brandon's going to be on the wing. I see that. But at the same time, there's a, you know, it's a freestyling type of rotation where you can get those guys into play. You can come in. You don't have to be a starter to be a great college basketball player. You don't have to be a starter to go to the, to the NBA. So none of that factors in. I do think the process, though, for Nate Oates and his staff – is going to be to be very thorough and take your time and get it right and make sure it's the guys that fit in perfectly. So all these names being linked to Alabama, um, I don't have a feel for any for certain that Alabama is going to push for. I think they're still going through the evaluation process and, uh, you know, we'll figure it out from there. Yeah. It's, it's essentially a condensed recruiting period that, you would see with high school players who have a year or so to kind of go through the process, right? You go in the portal and then it all starts happening. So every time a guy goes into the portal on my social media timelines, Twitter, especially I see like a Mark Sears. And then I see he has interest from 15 or 20 schools. Well, this stuff's got to happen here in the next few weeks. So the only one I know to take, as very credible to this point, at least to my understanding, is Lou Ellen, the Princeton transfer, because we know he has been in Tuscaloosa. So as those start to take place, that's when you, I think, can really put some credibility into some of these names, all of these names, because every time a guy goes in the portal and there's a mention of Alabama, yeah, I'm sure there is interest from Alabama, but to what extent? You don't know. And so when they do bring guys on campus, I think that gives you a you know, good indication of who's who's really in the mix. One of my favorite things, literally, on the round tables, our posters, where the guy tweets he's in the portal and they ask him <laughs> they ask him if Bam is interested, like in a minute. You know, like is Sam interested on in all those guys, but I do think that uh that oftentimes, I mean with football we saw that where they definitely were interested with a few guys. With basketball, they've got some interest too. I just think they're gonna you know, they're gonna have to they're just gonna have to figure out that that whole picture. They need mm-hmm. I mean, it's the one thing this, this, I think this group, you know, a lot of people thought this was a lazy group or a, or, 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 or a group that didn't work hard to get along, but the Alabama staff liked this group. They were good kids. A lot was made out of that last only Quinter didn't have enough dogs. Yeah, I mean, really at the end of the day, maybe too nice, maybe yeah. got along too well. Yeah. Everybody too comfortable. Everybody can't just rub dirt on it and nut up, you know, all the, all the saying that old school guys say, you know, just. You know, man up. But you know, you, everybody's not wired that way. If they were, we'd be we'd be a really even more violent world. Everybody can't go Jordan. There's a lot of guys that are just gonna, you know, go through life, you know, relaxing and still be good ball players. So, um, uh, I think they're trying to find that perfect mess. And there's no real run. I mean, they've got a team. They got a good team. If this is the if the, if their team is on the floor, Nate Oates has got a pretty good group coming in. So no no real rush there. Some football here from Marco Rolo. Love that handle, by the way. Um, most likely to create negative plays on the interior defensive line for Alabama in 2022. This is interesting because we did hear Nick Saban was asked about pass rush specifically from the interior with Fedarian Mathis moving on to the NFL. So you automatically think about guys like DJ Dale and Tim Smith because we've seen them over the last couple of seasons, but there are some, some second year guys too, to consider Tim Keenan, I guess, Tim, and uh, even a third year guy like Jamil Burroughs in that mix. Who are you kind of 
looking at or, or you know envisioning as being among those guys that can provide some of that negative play production on the interior DL? Yeah, you know, Alabama doesn't have a long history of really guys doing that that much, especially the last few years. I mean, you know, DJ Dell is going to be a guy that ties some people up. You got to, you know, you got to like what you're hearing from Jaheim Otis. I mean, obviously losing weight. We know how big he is. We know how athletic he is, but he is a true freshman. Uh, I think he's down 40 pounds or something. But yeah, you know, a guy that could step in, you'd like to see step in as a guy like Damon Payne. Um, good wine. I don't know if he'll be on the interior, obviously, but a guy that's going to be on the, uh, the defensive line that can make an impact athletic guy uh, that the top, the staff likes and some of the stuff he did. So, you know, really that's to be determined. There's not a lot of options there. I mean, I, you know where the edge pressure is coming from. We know that's coming and that's coming in buckets. So you got that, you know, there's going to be inside pressure from the backers. You know, you're going to have guys, you know, whether it be Deontay losses back there, Jalen Moody, um, Jihad Campbell, we're going to have you're going to have guys that can get pressure that way. So it might be the interior of the defensive line is just going to be more a stopgap, hold them up, clear some space, and let me come on through type deal, which we've seen in the past. Um, but they have guys to get to the quarterback and get pressure. Whether or not it's going to be on the interior or not, you know, probably remains to be seen. Yeah, if you're just talking tackles for loss, and if you include a guy like Byron Young in that mix, he's shown flashes of it now. You know, he'll play some in, but then he'll also move inside in some certain situations. But, you know, Tim Smith, to me, if we're talking just true interior guys, still has a lot of those qualities. It's just a matter of putting it together on a consistent basis and, you know, not doing the little things that hurt you. Like, well, they're not so little when you jump off sides on a pretty consistent basis. Some things he needs to clean up, but uh, DJ Dale, if he's healthy, can give you some of that as well. Um, Dr. Back, Dr. Back in the roundtable mailbag. What's your expectation for the Montgomery kids, Smith and Roussel? Seems like Tim, there's been a lot of talk that uh, perhaps one or both of these guys could be looking somewhere other than Alabama. What's real? What's fiction? What's to be determined with those guys? I, you know, I see this every year. I just, it's, it's a mystery to me. Why the Alabama staff, to be clear, is not scared of any kind of dogfight when it comes to recruiting. They expect it. Every player on that campus, basically, that they've signed has been some kind of dogfight. There's not many layups for Alabama when it comes to the recruiting trail. They always have to battle people. Um, and they're not scared of it. I don't think why any reason that James Smith or Russaw would be any different that they'd have to work hard to get them. I mean, I know Charles Kelly is really one of the most underappreciated coaches Alabama has. He's a, he's the area coach there. I know he has good relationships there. Just signed Curtis Perry uh, last year, which was a tough battle coming down the stretch. There's a lot of, you know, a little bit more drama behind the scenes than people know. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's to be expected that they're going to battle. I mean, these kids are going to look around. I think any kid, when you look at Tony Mitchell, you look at, you know, Peter Woods, you look at, you know, James and, you know, Russo and all these guys, they're going to take business and look around. But, I, you know, Alabama's going to win some, probably probably more than some, and they're going to lose some. Alabama's going to win a lot more than they lose. But the drama every year, we go through this with Des Moines Kennedy, Jeremiah Alexander, what makes recruiting great. But it really is a marathon. I know there's cliches, you know, we love to say it's fluid. We love to say it's a marathon. Recruiting is a marathon. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. There's a long way to go. There was no doubt the Montgomery kids were going to take visits as they should. They've all taken. And if they remember 
like I said, Curtis was, you know, had some drama. What about Mac Wilson? Z Pro yeah. Mac, he was a, you know, he was a, he was a lot of drama there with Mac. He enjoyed the process. They should enjoy the process. They don't end up at Alabama. Alabama will, you know, find a suitable replacement. They'll find a <clears throat> another guy, or you know, Alabama will land them. Pretty simple. But I don't think the fact, and I know there's been people speculating that we're going to have to work, but they were never considered a layup. <clears throat> there was no legacy and connection. So I'm not surprised that Alabama's going to have to, you know, really dig in. But I know Nick Saban's involved. Charles Kelly's laying the groundwork. So they're doing all they can. Be Rich in the roundtable mailbag says, I can mainly speak to softball, but the umpiring this season seems to be highly questionable, to put it politely. Is it a harder job now than it was a few years ago? Has the strike zone changed and someone forgotten to tell me? Are umps more sensitive these days, i.e. the quick run for Alabama softball coach Patrick Murphy during Saturday's game against the Georgia Bulldogs? I think as much as anything, be rich it's just the issue of consistency, right? I mean, the zone is different for different umpires. Do you want to go to robotic umpiring? I know there's a movement out there to do that. Um, but as it sits right now, as we have it right now, it literally changes game to game. Look at Lexi Kilfoyle and her two performances against Georgia over the weekend. Got the two wins, uh, one on Sunday, and then, of course, just the perfect game on Monday night with 10 strikeouts. And, you know, Alabama wins that series uh, two out of three over the visiting Georgia Bulldogs. But Kilfoyle's an example that if she gets that drop curve, Usually on the outside corner against right-handed hitters called, she is going to be very tough to deal with. And sometimes she gets it. And in the Sunday game, it seemed like early in that game, she wasn't getting it. And then later in the game, she did. And she finished that game extremely strong before throwing the perfect game on Monday. And, you know, Murph's got to do what he's got to do. I mean, he's got to defend his pitchers, especially when you're talking about Montana Fouts and Alexi Kilfoyle, who are the keys to everything. Yes, the transfers coming in have helped that team immensely. Allie Shipman with the game-ending home run on Monday night against Georgia. Uh, you know, Ashley Prangy has been very good coming in from Ohio State. But, Tim, whether it's softball, whether it's baseball, right, it's kind of a day-to-day thing with the, the strike zone. Yeah, I went through that with travel ball. But you're right. The one thing that you can – you can adjust to a strike zone. And they all have different strike zones. I mean, you know, I noticed that, like – Shorter umpires had trouble with lower pitches, lower pitches in the strike zone. So like the ball up, don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah, they see it better. It makes sense, you know. And they, I would tell my sons to adjust to that, and and you know, I know their coaches would as well. So that's true. But you're right. When it changes or or it's outrageous when it's six inches off the plate, which we've seen even in the major leagues, which is absurd. When you're literally taking the bat out of somebody's hands, it's very frustrating. I mean, they're going to miss pitches. They are. They're going to miss. There's there's no way around it. That ball. Is coming. I mean, you know, I still, I know I've went on this tangent before. I still don't understand why every umpire and referee, how come we don't see younger guys? I don't understand. Your eyes don't get better as you get older. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm wearing glasses as we speak. So I've never understood that aspect, but they're going to miss pitches regardless. The ball's moving, you know, 90 miles an hour to 100 miles an hour. I don't know what the softball girls do, but that ball's still moving. It's humming. I mean, that thing yeah. is on you. It's, you know, it's a stride, you're a stride and a half away from touching the glove. So <clears throat> being sporadic is the worst. 
I think you adjust to just about any strike zone. So, but I mean, this has been when I played little league. This was the same debate. This, this, it's not going away. Yeah, it, you know, I think umpires sometimes are like the hitters too, right? They get caught anticipating. You know, it's a one-two count maybe, and an umpire's anticipating a breaking ball or a waste pitch, and then here comes ninety-six on the outer half. You know, that's right in the zone, and they get they get crossed up a little bit. You know, and so, you know, these are human beings. These are people. And so it's going to happen. And again, consistency. Uh, and, and as Tim said, if you're that, then hitters can adjust. Pitchers can adjust. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. if you're kind of random in your zone, that that's the worst case scenario. Hey, Tim, Tide Steel checking in in the mailbag wants to know, how about some draft stuff? Which Alabama player in this year's draft? has the best career and why, and maybe a surprise Alabama player in terms of an NFL career looking ahead. You know, I think this class has got more of like, I feel really good about some of these guys' careers as far as good NFL contributors getting six, seven, eight years in the league. I feel like there's guys, especially like, you look at Mechie, I love Brian Robinson. I don't care what anybody says. If I can get this guy in the third round mm-hmm. and pair him with anybody, if you've got, you know, if you got Alvin Kamara, if you've got a Dalvin Cook, if you've got if you got a guy, I would pair him with, you know, any of those guys in a heartbeat. It's going to protect your quarterback. He's going to get you four yards of carry. You know, he's going to bust a big run. He's never going 70 yards. Nobody goes 70 yards in the NFL. It's hard to run 70 yards. Dalvin Cook does it every now and then. Christian McCaffrey did it every now and then. So, really, you're just looking for guys to not get your quarterback blown up, for one. And another thing is you're looking for a guy that's going to move the chains. He's going to get your third and one and all that. Brian fits all that mode. Workhorse paid his dues, all of that. You know, the guy that I'm going to go on a limb, it's not a huge limb, but I think Christian Harris is going to have the best NFL career out of all these guys. Wow. I think the same thing we've said about J.D. and Josh Primo, I think it's going to apply to uh, Christian when he gets to the National Football League. I think he's going to focus entirely on uh, football. I think he's going to focus on that. I think he's got the skills. I think he's at a position where linebackers rack up a lot of tackles. He's athletic. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's testing well. So he's the guy I think, you know, obviously Jamison's going to be, has a chance to be a monster, but that, how good Jamison is is going to depend, as we've learned, on where is he going. I mean, there's only so many quarterbacks that can throw it as far as he runs. So um, wide receivers are at that. But obviously Evans is going to be a good player. Mathis is one I really like. I think, you know, had a, you know, we don't really hear about some of the interior linemen. But if you watch the NFL, every now and then, then a Jaron Reed will pop up. You know, a guy mm-hmm. that you don't – he's not sexy – because he's not, you know, Aaron, you know, Aaron Donald. He's not getting, you know, 16 sacks in a year. But he's had a really good career. I think that's sort of going to be the line that Mathis falls in. So some guys are going to have good careers. Um, I just don't know how many are going to be standouts. Yeah, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go chalk. I know it's not uh, really going out there at all. But I'm going to go Evan Neal with the best career because I like the, I like the security blanket that is the guard position, if that's what he needs to do. Uh, if he isn't an every down or he isn't a tackle uh, in the NFL, I think he goes inside to guard and he could be Trey Smith, like the former Tennessee player that has been 
just outstanding for the Kansas City Chiefs very early on in his professional career. Surprise guy, I don't think he would have been a surprise candidate before his knee injury, but I'm going to go John Mechie, man. I think John Mechie could end up being sort of an Emmanuel Sanders type that just plays and plays and plays uh, because he's a technician as a route runner. Uh, he's going to be very dependable in terms of his his hands. Uh, so give me Mechie is maybe more of a surprise player. Yeah, I think Mechie's going to be a, just one of those guys that thinks going to be a really consistent pro. Um, you know, you can have a great career without being a superstar. I mean, I see we see that all the time. And um, I think Alabama, you know, this is the most guys I feel like. I don't remember so many guys going pro and not being projected in the first round. That Alabama really hasn't had that a lot lately. So it was kind of due. But, yeah, I mean, you look at that. I mean, Josh Job is a guy I'm curious to see what they do with him. Yeah. I don't think he's ever going to be comfortable at corner. I said this in high school. I said this early in his career. I said that when he supposedly – everybody thought he had a good year two years ago, two seasons ago. I just don't think he's comfortable with his back to the football. Mm-hmm. I don't, but I do think physically yeah. make him a safety where he's facing the ball. Keep the, keep the game in front of him. Yeah, and he's physical. He will hit you. Yeah. Me, and I mean this is a guy I, I loved as a, as a youth. He reminds me a little bit of, of, of Rod Woodson for the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Big kid, yeah. you know, big kid, physically gifted. Rob would lay the wood. Probably guy they probably thought was a cornerback at some point in his career. I think with with Job, you just the best thing you got to do is figure out what's going to make it easiest for him. Because every time his back's to that ball, he'll be in perfect coverage. He'll have the technique. He just don't trust it because he's he no. Gets, you know, he gets great. You know, he gets pansy. He's well, you said the word trust. Um, yeah, don't trust because it. But everything he, else he, is right. You know? Yeah, he he is great a lot of times in man coverage, ninety eight percent of the play, and then at the moment of truth, you said it, just doesn't seem to trust himself enough, uh, and that's where the penalties come in. And uh, you know, I think Jalen Armour Davis. If I didn't go John Mechie, oh, yeah. I'd probably go Jalen Armour Davis because I think he has that sort of positional versatility, Tim, where he could play corner, he could play the slot. Uh, and, and he, too, I yeah, think, could, could end up playing some safety. I've talked to some NFL guys who didn't really have a have, have a strong look at him this year who were really, really uh, pleasantly surprised at his film. They really mm-hmm. liked his technique. They really liked a lot of the things he did. I mean, of course, everybody wishes he had a little bit more film. Um, that's obvious. But I've talked to some guys that weren't that familiar with uh, with him, and they, 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 think he's a, they think he's a really good football player. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think probably considering his situation, he made the right move. And I think somebody's going to, man, it's hard to get. I mean, it's hard to get cornerbacks. You know, it's hard to, you got to have those guys, whether they be nickels or, you know, you know, boundary guys. So he's a guy I think that's probably going to see his stock climb up a little bit, especially considering he's probably going to get a pretty good sign off from Nick Saban, which carries some weight. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, Ronnie Bismuth ask here as we close out and it seems appropriate because as we record this we are seeing an update from our very own charlie potter at bamaonline.com that ajay hall is no longer listed on the alabama roster at rolltide.com we talked about ajay earlier in the podcast so this uh probably an appropriate wrap to the program today but ronnie's wanting to know about freshman wide receiver that will make the biggest impact this season. We're already seeing a couple guys on campus. Not all of those guys have arrived at Alabama. We'll still see uh, an addition or two to that come the 
summer months, but we talked about Aaron Anderson, more of a slot guy. So with this report from Charlie in relation to Ajay Hall, um, Preston coming in still, right, Tim? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Kendrick Law's already on campus. I, those are the two guys I would consider. A, if you're just looking at outside spots, Aaron Anderson, obviously, inside. You know, the one thing I, I'm, I'm going to – not a huge line. We're going to a little bit on Liam. I think Isaiah Bond has a chance yeah. to get some of those uh, Jameson routes. Because he's the only one that runs as fast as Jameson, you know? Take the top off, yeah. I think that he's going to be – I think he's going to be a guy – Kobe's another one. Kobe Prentice is another one that's kind of going to be in that range. But, I mean, Bond speed's elite. I mean, he is like – you watch his four, four by – was it four by 400 or four by 100 he's running? I think it's 100. Anyways, when he runs, he's on the, he's on the uh, track team with three guys and other guys that can fly, obviously, two or sub 11-0. Well, they, they're fast. And then when Bond gets it, he's, Bond gets it, he's at another level fast. He's even faster than the fast, so he's going to be a guy. I mean, obviously, he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to really polish routes and all that. But you don't have to be a super polished, experienced receiver to run really fast, really far. You know what I mean? Because I mean, you can get him in that, get him in that seam. You saw him get mismatches with uh, Jamison uh, several times last year. I think that could be a role for him because he's going to have that elite type speed when he comes in. Obviously, doesn't help. He's coming in late. Um, or he's coming in normal, I should say. He's not actually late, but um, by yeah. today's standards, yeah, it feels That's, late for no, sure. I say that because you know he's he you know he's not coming in because he's running track for a nationally ranked track team. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a guy I'm looking for. And with that, Tim, I believe it's a wrap for the latest edition of T Watts and TR on the Bama Online Podcast again. So much great stuff for you at the website right now, including the aforementioned update from Charlie Potter in relation to Ajay status, Ajay Hall status on the official team roster with the University of Alabama. So you'll want to check that out. We're going to keep you updated on the recruiting front on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute basis. Men's basketball, ever-changing roster to consider there, spring football practice, man, Tim. We've got plenty of stuff going on at the website, and we certainly hope you'll hang out with us on the Roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans everywhere. Tim, a lot of fun. Look forward to doing it again real soon. All right, fantastic. See you guys on the Roundtable. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.